it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. It is week four of the NFL already as we creep into October this weekend. Welcome to Edge Rush, the show here on the Hammer Betting Network that runs down every game on the NFL slate every single week. And we've even got some Sunday morning football to get us going uh, real nice and early on Sunday. I'm Chris Abbott. I'm joined as always, well, except for last week when a couple of us were off, by the Hitman and TA from Clev Analytics. Guys, how we doing after three weeks? I just want to say that uh, my Circa uh, success in week one has not been replicated, and I'll now be going for the quarterly and potentially booby prizes. That's too bad. I, I've sit, I'd sit 12 and three in the Circa contest and doing well, um, just you know, betting-wise. Uh, last week wasn't as good as the first two weeks, but overall, uh, you know, I can't complain, and this week, I don't know, uh, Hitman might have a different opinion, but this is, uh, I think the lines are much tighter this week uh, compared to the first few weeks and less opportunity, but I'm, I'm still happy to, to discuss as many games as possible. Yeah, you know, this is a funny week because I pride myself off getting the best of the number. And we, we all know that if you get the best of the number, in all likelihood, you're going to win long term. And if you don't get the best of the number, in all likelihood, unless you have some edge that hasn't been identified by the market, then you're probably not going to be as successful. And this is a week that I bet a few games early and the line moved against me in two of the three, which I'm not used to. So I don't know if I should be scared or if I'm seeing something that the market isn't seeing. Let's try to figure it out. Before we get into the slate, I actually want to follow up on that a little bit. You know, with the kind of crush of, you know, online sports betting options now, um, with with information that's available through podcasts like this and otherwise analytics that come uh, from everywhere, including Clev Analytics. Um, have you guys found it, and Hitman, I'll just follow up with you here. Have you found it harder to get the best of the number um, as we go on in the seasons here? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's getting harder every single year. And in the beginning of the season, typically it's easier when there's less data on these teams than it is later in the season. So I think that as the weeks keep going on, it gets harder and harder. And as the years keep going on, it gets harder and harder because with any market, the more eyes and the more the tension that's drawn to it, it's going to become more efficient. And one of the best examples I could think, I know we're a sides and totals podcast, but the prop market has gotten tougher every single year. Now I, it's still very, very beatable and I'm still making a, a good amount of coin on my personal bets on it, but the openers are getting sharper. There's more eyes on it more prop touts that are giving out selections that are, have influence in the market. Some of them are very sharp and it's making these lines a lot more efficient. So I just think that every single year it gets more efficient. And like we said, later in the year, it gets more efficient as we keep going on. Yeah. And I think the, uh, 
you know, it's sometimes you just, like you said, it's, you can't get to the, can't get to it fast enough. And just, you know, a lot of smart people, sharp people are getting to the numbers quicker than usual. And they're anticipating things a lot more, especially when it comes to injuries and those sorts of things. But, you know, I, I know last year, um, even beating the number didn't really matter. <laughs> I know it won the long term. Uh, it should, and definitely that's your goal. But I know last year it was kind of the opposite. It was weird. And then you had all the COVID issues and it was almost to the point where it was, it was just worth waiting. And it's almost like that now with some of these injuries, just waiting. Cause there's so many injuries that are popping up midweek that, you know, from guys who weren't even hurt during the game or, you know, uh, injuries they didn't even know about uh, that pop up midweek. I remember Michael Pittman two weeks ago against the Jags, like that during, he wasn't even hurt the prior week. It just popped up on, on like a Thursday and he didn't end up playing. It's, so it's a lot harder um, from that perspective. And, and so I, I think unless it's, you're right at the key, at a key number, it's probably not necessarily, um, you know, always the best case to, to grab a number right away. It's kind of, let's see what, what some of the, uh, the injuries and some of the impact um, in the market is, but, um, but yeah, it's, you know, I know I, I kind of agree with Hitman. It's been harder to get, to kind of catch those those uh, key numbers early before before they move. I'll say one thing too: if you want to win betting, just follow the injury report. And uh, I, the NBA, I don't originate any of my NBA selections, but what I can do is I can follow the injury report and I can react quickly to injuries. And that is usually that's a, pr- a pretty uh, bulletproof system, I believe, in winning long term. But it's going to require a lot of work, a lot of man hours, which a lot of people can't uh, deal with. The people that are working normal jobs and aren't like me, just sitting on my phone until I have carpal until I have carpal tunnel syndrome, probably by the age of thirty-five. <laughs> well, you know what? You can get all the early week injury news on day to day with. Uh myself and TA. And that's a nice little plug there. Uh, Completely unintended, but it all rolls together. I'm sure we'll talk about some injuries as we go through. And let's start with the Thursday nighter, a game that opened uh, most books on Sunday night. Anyway, uh, not talking look too far, look ahead, but you know, Sunday night after the week three games were in the books, Um, three point favorite, the Cincinnati Bengals, the three and oh Miami dolphins coming in as an underdog. And in fact, the line has moved further towards Cincinnati, mostly fours on the board. I do see two four and a halfs creeping out there this evening as we speak. Total has come down about a point, uh, point and a half, where you can get it now at 46 and a half or 47. We touched on this game a little bit on day to day yesterday, TA, and uh, I'd like to get a little bit more of your input on the Miami Cincinnati Thursday nighter. Yes, this is a really interesting case. And a lot of people have asked me, why is this line what it is? I think you asked me that. You know, it's a combination of not knowing about Tua and then also the, you know, just the extreme uh, turnaround that uh, the Dolphins have had to make, from, you know, playing in the heat against, uh, you know, the Bills being on the field on, on defense for 90 plus plays and then turning around on a short week. It's, it's essentially unprecedented. I only found one other case, really two other cases that are similar, but we could talk about that. But um, so that's all playing a factor here. I mean, Mike McDaniel's a rookie head coach on Thursday night, historically, especially early in the year, rookie head coaches, you know, their ATS cover rate is extremely low. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but it's, it's, you know, substantially low. And it's been like this for a number of years, home teams usually do well, home favorites. So it's a lot of factors going against Miami uh, in this game. I don't have a a play on the side uh, or total specifically, but I do have uh, one that I think you could still get. Um, I have uh, Cincinnati's uh, team total over 25 and a half. I think it's good up to 26 and a half and bear with me for a second. But as I mentioned, I know it's, it's been well documented. Everyone's talking about it, 
but it, there actually is research behind, um, you know, this analysis in terms of when a defense is on the field for that many plays, you know, what happens in next week. And I, and I researched this last year because we did have one case and it was the Jets coming off of an OT game against the Titans where they're on the field for like 92 plays. And then they had to travel to London the next week against the Falcons. I started digging in and said, you know, does this affect the defense at all? Because it wasn't necessarily, I didn't find any sort of letdown from a team perspective in terms of against the spread. What I found was if the defense was on the field for, for that long, and we're talking, you know, average plays in the NFL in a game is like in the mid upper 60s. So to, to get the 90, that's an extreme number. And so I, I was looking and last year, I noticed that, you know, if you look back about 20 years, uh, those teams the next week were allowing way more points, uh, points more than expected. Uh, to opponents the next week to exceed their team total. And so I ended up, um, you know, and I like the Falcons anyway, uh, at least their offense. And so they, they exceeded their, their point total by a couple of points. Uh, so you got a similar case here this week, but it's even more extreme because not only are you coming off of a, you know, whatever the, the, the temperatures and, and the extreme humidity, but it's a short week. I've only found one other case where since 2000, where a team uh, played defense for 90 plus plays and then had to turn around on a Thursday and that occurred in 2016. The Bucs were coming off an OT game against the Raiders. They faced the Falcons at home, by the way, the next week. So that wasn't even a road game. It was at home, and they allowed the Falcons to score 43 points. They got blown out. And then there was a second case. Uh, it was a Friday game, uh, sort of, again, a shorter turnaround. Um, it was the Saints playing the Vikings on Christmas uh, afternoon a couple Fridays. Or sorry, it was a Friday afternoon a couple of years ago. And they were coming off 92 plays on defense and they allowed 33 points in that game. Now they did win. They won like 52 to 33, but their defense gave up a bunch of points. So, you know, going back just in general, if you look at even Sunday to Sunday turnarounds, just normal turnarounds since 2000 um, defenses that were on the field for 90 plays allowed the opponents to go over their team total in 15 of 24 uh, instances the next week. So 63% rate. So pretty substantial. So just that alone, I think is, Obviously something that, you know, I'm taking seriously, but then outside of all those trends, I just like this matchup for Cincinnati in general on offense. The Miami defense has not played well. They're um, the bottom five in pressure rate. Um, they are 23rd in EPA per play allowed, 29th in success rate. They're 28th in EPA per drop back. Uh, they don't have a deep secondary. Zamian Howard's really their only legit corner. They have a, a slot corner who's a um, undrafted free agent. Um, you know, so they don't have a good secondary in general. They're, they're, they're not getting much pressure. The only reason that their defense has really stayed in these games and helped them win is because they're creating a ton of turnovers. And we saw obviously in week one when Mac Jones um, got that strip uh, sack and fumble six by Melvin Ingram, you know, they're they're creating a ton of turnovers, eighth most EPA created on defense by turnovers. So and we know Cincinnati's offense has struggled with turnovers, but I think that some, you know, a lot of that is um, is pretty random in general, just on a kind of net turnover basis. Uh, if you exclude turnovers on a drive-by-drive -drive basis, they're top 10 in the NFL in offense. So I think they're fine. Burroughs obviously struggled with pressure. You're not going to see that as much this week. If if Miami tries to blitz, Burrow kills the blitz. So they do they do all, you know, that all-out blitz stuff they did against uh, Lamar Jackson last year, they're in trouble. So all in all, I think this is a good matchup for for Cincinnati, from a you know team total perspective, I have no idea what's going to happen in the game. I don't really care. I just want Cincinnati to score points, and I think all of that uh, lends itself to this. So, thanks for bearing me, bearing with me with that with that analysis. But there's a lot to a lot to take a look at here. The only thing that I'll add on top of that, which I thought was a great analysis, is that I have no issue playing a team total with Cincinnati. If you that's your handicap, then I totally endorse it. But I do have an issue if somebody's gonna probably if somebody's gonna play Cincinnati minus four. And my reason for that is TA, we'd probably agree 
Bengals, Dolphins, half point difference maybe between them, power rating wise, on a nor- under yeah. normal circumstances. Yes. Cor- I think on a so Sunday, we, yeah, it's half a point. Yeah, so we'd agree with that. I think that the rest stuff is fully baked into the spread, personally. Oh, yeah. So I, if you're going to attack Cincinnati and that's the angle you're looking towards, you're you're better off looking at the team total. As yeah, says. I mean, if this was a normal week and, and Tua wasn't, you know, questionable and this is Sunday to Sunday, and I think this is a two and a half point spread for sure. Yeah, it's definitely baked in. I would never endorse taking Cincinnati here. And that is why you listen to this show. Excellent breakdown of the Thursday night game. How about the Sunday morning game from Tottenham Stadium in England, you've got the Minnesota Vikings, the New Orleans Saints. Minnesota opens as a two-point favorite in this game. Total opens around 44. Uh, right now, you're getting two and a half threes on the board. Uh, totals at 43, 43 and a half. I know that neither of you guys had uh, any strong feelings on this game, but Hitman, uh, any thoughts at all? Monitor the injury report. Obviously, what happens with Jameis Winston is going to be very important. We probably see this line close three and a half-ish. If Andy Dalton is forced to play, but that, that, that's really all I can add to, to the game. Um, New Orleans offense has struggled mightily. They, they've scored a touchdown on one of 25 drives outside of the fourth quarter this year, which is by far the lowest rate in the league. So at two and a half, maybe the slightest of leans towards Minnesota, but ultimately it ends up a pass for me. Unless you get some injury news and you're able to react before the market can on Jameis Winston. Yeah, I think honestly, if it gets to three or three and a half and Jameis does play and I do need Michael Thomas to play here. Um, I actually would lean the Saints. I, I don't love it, but I would lean that way. I, you know, a lot of their struggles on offense has been turnovers. They're dead last. And turnover margin dead last and uh, EPA lost due to turnovers. We saw last week that fumble um, recovery for a touchdown for the Panthers. They didn't do anything on offense against the Saints. That was that was a huge part of it. So if they could just clean that up and now it's a lot to ask for because Jameis, you know, outside of last year, uh, maybe it's an anomaly. Uh, he does, uh, you know, uh, put the ball on the ground a lot or, you know, throws a bunch of interceptions. So it's a lot to ask. I just don't believe in this Minnesota defense. I don't think they're very good. They haven't stopped really anybody except for, you know, in the Packers in week one that was coming out without any receivers. And um, obviously we're rusty. You know, the Minnesota defense is not very good. They're second to last and explosive rushes allowed 24th in, in run defense. Um, you know, they don't really put a ton of pressure on the opponents. Uh, Zadarius Smith is questionable. He's hurt. Uh, Harrison Smith, they're, they're, you know, probably they're, well, maybe they're, they're definitely their best secondary player. He missed last week with a concussion. He's questionable. He may or may not play. Uh, and then you got the Kirk Cousins factor. You know, you never know away from home and uh, in London what's going to happen. I, I, if it's three and a half, I even with Andy Dalton, I would definitely take or take a strong look at the Saints at three with Jameis and Mike Thomas. Um, I also would take a look at it. Um, not nothing that I've taken yet, but I'm, I'm going to monitor that injury report for sure. Another game that bears monitoring of the injury report is a game we talked about on day to day this week. A uh, bit of a marquee matchup in the early window. You've got the Buffalo Bills at the Baltimore Ravens. This game opened Buffalo a three and a half point road favorite. Most places that's been bet down to three with action coming in on the home underdog Ravens. Both teams are two and one uh, straight up and against the spread coming into week four. I'm sure this game will have a lot of eyes on it. And both of you guys have uh, indicated to me 
that it's a game you wanted to talk about here tonight. So, uh, Hitman, I will start with you on your play or the way you're thinking about this Bills-Ravens matchup. I like the over, 51.5, in this game. Now, there's one caveat, and the reason that this total did get bet down at the opener was because of potential bad weather. But, T.A., you could tell me um, if you see anything different. But right now, I'm seeing field level probably 13 to 15 miles per hour and some rain doesn't look like any torrential downpours or anything. And if that is the case, I mean, it's not the most ideal thing in the world, but it's also likely not enough to hamper these offenses a ton. And I mean, the bills are first in pass rate over expectation. Baltimore is really the team that surprised us this year. They're six last week, the Patriots offense that has been struggling since training camp threw for 10 yards at pass attempt. Baltimore allows the most deep passes in the entire NFL. We know that Josh Allen is a guy that's going to look to throw deep. And both these both these defenses dealing with injuries, Baltimore, edge rushers, Michael Pierce, their secondary, I believe, has some injuries. And it, we've all been made well aware of the injuries that Buffalo has defensively as well. So I, I think that as long as the weather isn't enough to – really, really impact this game, which as of now looks like it's not going to be. I think that this total should be similar to what the total closed last week in Miami Buffalo, which was in the 54, 54 and a half range. It's interesting you say that because I was looking yesterday, the weather looked a lot worse yesterday uh, just from the forecast. And you guess, guess you never know with this hurricane, anything could happen. Um, but the yeah, the, it doesn't look like it's going to rain. It's just, you know, the wind, and, but the wind is just in the teens uh, the gust could get to get to 25, 30, but that's, you know, who knows with that. And we're still a few days away. So, um, you know, I, I, you know, I would think that it's not as bad as maybe um, we initially, uh, or at least I initially suspected. So um, that's interesting there. I will say, I do agree. I mean, I, I liked, I liked uh, Baltimore at three and a half. I wouldn't take it. Well, I mean, if you get a cheap three, um, but I think that, you know, just, this is again, another good spot, Buffalo back-to-back road games, Again, the it didn't hurt their defense, but their offense is on the field for 90 snaps in that heat. I mean, I, I was listening to a radio show yesterday that was interviewing Stefan Diggs, and he was just talking about how his entire body was cramped and he had he needed IVs. And I think all those guys did. And um, he missed a, a portion of the second half. And, you know, that stuff does tend to leak into the next week. Again, I, I'm not following this thing b- blindly, but just, you know, when you look, I talked about defenses that are on the field for 90 plays the prior week. If you look at offenses that were on the field, for 90 plays, they in general are just a poor ATS team the next week, 13 and 20 against the spread. So, you know, uh, we saw the same scenario, although it was a week two game. So it was not as big of an issue because of stamina, uh, but the Bengals uh, saw this going into Dallas the next week. So teams that are, you know, uh, essentially on the field on offense, you know, could see some, some, some drop off in play. Uh, but just in general, I think getting a, a good Ravens team at over a field goal, as good as the bills are, I think is too many points, especially with that secondary uh, complete mess. Even Christian Benford, their uh, late round rookie who was playing pretty well, who, who was filling in uh, last week, he broke his hand and he's out for this game. Jordan Poyer's question mark. Uh, it's going to be a tough task to, to guard Mark Andrews up the middle of the field. That's where Lamar likes to target uh, Mark Andrews. And, you know, Buffalo is allowed um, from a yards per attempt perspective, they're 23rd and throws down the middle of the field. So I just think this is a good number. You get the best kicker in the, you know, maybe of all time and Justin Tucker in a windy condition. Uh, game like I want I like that in my back pocket 
uh, where points could be could be important there. Lamar Jackson is five and zero as a home dog uh, in his career. Uh, John Harbaugh is eleven four and one against the spread as a home dog. So you know a lot of reasons for me to to, to lean here. I'm, it's not as big of a play as, as kind of a more of like a half unit play for me, but uh, I think I think Baltimore is the right side, and that's why you saw money come in. Uh, I think between that and just potential for the weather to to um, you know, create a little lower scoring environment. Maybe Pittman thinks the opposite, but that's maybe why the, the number dropped down a little bit. But I, I like Baltimore a little bit here. All right, a game that uh, the NFL has uh, a longstanding rivalry rivalry game. Uh, also, a couple of uh, classic NFC East teams. Uh, uh, albeit Washington changed their moniker, but you've got the Commanders going to Dallas to play Cooper Rush and the Cowboys. This line opened at three uh, for the Cowboys at home. It's still there. The total opened around 42. There's some 41s, 41 and a half out there. So not a whole lot of movement on this game since the open. Um, Well, I shouldn't say that because it's been back and forth, back and forth. Um, People trying to maybe figure this one out. Hitman, what are your thoughts on this one? I think we're going to see the three and a halfs pop back up. There was a service release just about an hour ago that took out the three and a halfs and moved it to three. But I think we will see some buyback with so much of the market being anti-Washington. And I, I like Washington once it does get back to three and a half, which I think it will. You get three and a half at a little bit more vague. And it doesn't have much to do with Washington. Uh, I'll be I'll be honest, but it's more of just I like to fade teams that I think are significantly below average laying this amount of points. I mean, Dallas laying three and a half points. Let's be real. Cooper Rush, I know that he's had a decent two games, but Cooper Rush was cut as recently as a few weeks ago. And what team cut him, do you ask? The Cowboys cut him. So it's not like the Cowboys No, they have some gem of a backup quarterback. I think that eventually as more film gets out on him, that the league will start to catch up a little bit. And let's be real, Mike McCarthy and Kellen Moore haven't had the most creative offense in the entire league with, with that since their tenure in Dallas. So I'm not going to be able to make much of an argument towards Washington on things they have done right this year because they have not done much right, especially defensively. I know that their offensive line is probably going to have a little bit of a tough time blocking Dallas, but – uh, and I have these teams a half point different in my power ratings with Cooper Rush as the Cowboys quarterback. So at three and a half, even with some extra vig, I could only look towards Washington. Yeah, I haven't taken this game, but I do lean your way. Uh, if it gets a three and a half, I, I would definitely look at Washington. It Actually, I haven't watched as much uh, of them the last couple of games because I feel like they've been getting blown out early so quick um, that I haven't had the reason to turn it over. But if you look at some of their underlying metrics, it's not as bad as it seems. Um, you know, defensively, they're they're allowing teams to throw over the top uh, on them. Um, but they, I mean, they're facing a, a Dallas team. I don't think Cooper Rush is really a great deep ball thrower. He's he's been going underneath more, and they're running the football a lot. You know, they're they're not horrible from from a defensive perspective um, when it comes to some of the metrics. They're just they're not creating any turnovers. They're dead last in creating any sort of uh, turnovers on defense. And so that's really causing, uh, causing a bunch of issues. They're bad in early downs, but they're really good on third down. So, you know, I, I think that this is a decent, this is a decent buy low spot for them. So I haven't taken anything yet, but this is, if it gets a three and a half, um, I will definitely lean that way for sure. 
moving from the NFC East to the AFC South, everybody's favorite division, I'm sure. We've got the Tennessee Titans going to Indianapolis to play the Colts. This game opened at Colts minus four at home, quickly moved to three and a half, and there's now some threes on the board. Total open 44 and a half has come down a couple of points as well. Um, these teams coming in, Tennessee one and two, uh, both straight up and against the spread. The Colts, of course, have that tie, uh, but they are one and two against the spread as well. This may be a game that some people gloss over, but uh, Hitman, you've got some thoughts. I like the Colts minus three. Um, one thing we know about the Titans is they really got to run the ball to be successful, and their whole offense is dependent on their run game. Well, the Colts are allowing the league a league low yards per carry to opposing running backs, and Derrick Henry really struggled in this matchup last year, only running for a little bit over three yards per carry against the Colts. So I think that the Titans, especially without Taylor, Taylor Lawan, they're, they're going to struggle offensively. And it, again, it's kind of like the Washington handicap where I don't have a, I don't have many stats I could throw your way and say, Oh, the Colts have been really good at this, this season, and they're going to take advantage of this. They haven't been great this season, specifically their stats in the last two games have been pretty mediocre, but my handicap is essentially we're basically saying these teams are close to equal in the half point better or so based off the line. And I just don't think that it's outside the realm of possibilities that the Titans end up being a bottom five, six, seven team by the end of the year. I know I said that last week before they played the Raiders and they obviously came through with a good effort, but just looking at the roster of this team, you have a below average, slightly below average quarterback, you don't have good weapons in the past game. You have a bad offensive line and a defense that really struggles personnel-wise, specifically in the secondary right now at cornerback. So it's more, just like I said with the Washington game, that was fading Dallas at that price at minus three. It, it, I'm happy to fade the Titans in this game. Yeah, I don't have a strong opinion either way. I, I was on both of these teams last week, so they both cashed for me, which I'm happy about. That was a perfect uh, spot for a Mike Vrabel team to kind of get his team up. Uh, and I don't have any respect for the, for the Raiders as a team. Uh, we'll talk about them later, but uh, so that was an easy fade for me. And then obviously the Colts came through against the chiefs. I, I wasn't impressed with the, even though I was on the Colts, that was painful. Yeah. Matt Ryan uh, didn't play uh, very well last week and I wasn't really impressed. I don't know if this offense is just not fitting him. Uh, I was trying to do a lot of RPO stuff like Carson Wentz last, last year. So um, I, I don't have a strong opinion either way, but I think between the two teams, the Colts are definitely the better team. Well, I'm going to stick with you now, TA for the team, you know, the best in the league, at least that's, that's what we believe to be the, the case. Cleveland Browns opened up as a two and a half, three point road favorite in Atlanta against Marcus Mariota and the spread covering darlings uh, at three and zero against the spread of the Falcons. This total opened at around 46 and a half. It's up to 49 and a half, at least at Caesars. I can see right now we've got the Cleveland team coming in seven and zero against the spread in their last seven games against an NFC South opponent. I don't know how much people buy into that, but it is an interesting number. Um, what else should we know about this game, TA? Yeah, it is interesting. I, I've, I've been backing the Falcons a lot. Um, I loved what I saw in the preseason. So, um, you know, I, I've been a big fan of them. I was on the over, their team total over last week. And, you know, they've got a lot of weapons. Mariota's playing well. They're 3-0 and against the spread, like you said. Just, you know, uh, this is curious. The week four 
since 2000, teams that are three and zero against the spread in week four and are underdogs have gone eight and 12 uh, in week four. So 40% against the spread ATS margin of negative 10 points per game. So not a great spot, just if you believe in, in any of those trends, but just on the field, obviously the Miles Garrett news, this thing opened, reopened at two and a half and then was lingering there and got bet down as soon as the news came out that Miles Garrett got in an accident. So it went down to one and a half, even down to one. Um, sounds like he's 50-50 if he's going to play. I know he's got some bumps and bruises and a sprained shoulder and something with his bicep. I, you know, I could see him wanting to play, but I'm not sure uh, if that's going to happen. He's probably worth what, you know, maybe half a point to a point to the spread here. Uh, so I think this will end up Brown's likely favored, you know, by one to, one to two when it's all said and done, but I just think the matchup is great for the Browns. Browns are coming off a Thursday night game. So they've got extra rest. They've been pounding people on the ground. I mean, absolutely destroying. Yeah. I've only looked back 10 years, but they have by far the highest EPA on the ground through three weeks of any team in, you know, in the last 10 years, maybe even further, even more than that, you know, 2019 Ravens, uh, you know, unstoppable run offense. They've just been killing teams on the ground with offensive line. Jacoby Brissett's playing well. He's not turning the ball over at all. I think he has one interception um, on the season. He's he had one of the better games, uh, maybe the best game he's had in his career last last week against the Steelers. They're going up against an Atlanta defense that, as as good as the offense has been playing, their defense is just as bad. I mean, they're dead last uh, in EPA allowed on the ground and going up against the number one run offense. They're 22nd in explosive runs allowed. They're getting bullied on the defensive line, um, you know, and they haven't really faced many good opponents from a from a run offense perspective. I mean, they played a bad Seattle run team last week. They played the Rams, who can't run on anybody in week two, and then they played the Saints, who who don't run the ball really well in week one. So for them to be dead last in EPA on the ground and face that set of uh, run teams and then go up against this Browns team, it's a complete mismatch. So I just have more faith that the Browns are going to just be able to sustain more drives, use their play action pass. Jacoby Brissett is not throwing the ball deep. He's, he's thrown really, really effectively, you know, underneath and intermediate routes to Amari Cooper. I think they're going to continue to pound, pound teams, including the Falcons. And so, and you know, yeah, it's going to be, it would be really important to have Miles Garrett in there to help contain Mariota, especially out of the pocket. Jadavian Clowney is questionable. He didn't play last week. He may play. So at least one of those guys, I think, you know, it would be nice to have them in there. But in general, I think this Browns team is just much better overall. I actually have a, in my back pocket, I had them at pick before the season started. I thought it was a great number because it was, you know, about, it was three, I think when the season did start and now it's, you know, back down to one and a half. So I still think it's a good number here. I just think from a matchup perspective, uh, the Browns are the better team and you're getting more rest and you're getting an Atlanta team coming off of a, a trip to Seattle sky high after three straight covers. I think that this is, you know, as high as they can get from a market perspective. So I think, I think it's a good fade here. Yeah, I agree with TA. I, I had some value on Atlanta plus three at the opener, but I didn't play it. And the reason was, is that I think that the Browns have a lot of matchup advantages in this game. So at one and a half, I could probably only look Cleveland's way. Okay. Sticking with the team in Cleveland's division at home, the Pittsburgh Steelers, Opened at four, three and a half, four. The numbers bounced around between three and four. Consensus right now as we record is at three and a half uh, favorite for the Steelers, who, of course, have TJ Watt on injured reserve. Micah Fitzpatrick is questionable. And it looks like Zach Wilson will play his first game of the year on Sunday for the Jets. Um, Both of these teams have covered just once so far this year. 
Um, I don't know. I don't know about this game, guys. I, I, the, can I sell anybody on on the New York Jets covering as an underdog? I feel like this game has just, you know, no matter what side you're on, you're going to be biting your nails until the very end. Yeah, I don't got much on this one. I mean, Pittsburgh, the marketplace absolutely hates them right now. They've been, been getting bet against every single week from week one, week two, week three. And uh, I'm, I, I could see what people are seeing that without TJ Watt, their defense does, is just not very good. And their offense has been bad since last season. So I can see that side of it. But at the same time, I mean, Zach Wilson, I think he had the lowest EPA of any. No, it was um, the Jets averaged four and a half yards per play last season with Zach Wilson on the field, which would have been last in the league last season so i don't know what to expect from wilson is he 100 percent healthy i don't know it's a stay away game yeah i didn't think there'd be a whole lot of interest in this game to be completely what? honest with you oh. i was going to say one thing sorry i don't have a strong interest either way but it is interesting that both of these teams are they're one two when it comes to pace and you wouldn't expect that now some of that is because they're they're from trailing you know playing from behind but they're both top 14 in neutral game pace and I mean, there could be um, a scenario here where, you know, these teams kind of throw the ball all over the field and there's either um, big plays from both or there's, you know, defensive turnovers. And so you get some points here. So, um, you know, maybe look to the total, but I don't have anything here um, substantially the way. This game a little bit more interesting. I think you've got uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars who uh, obviously already look a lot better than they did last year. They come in at two and one straight up against the spread against the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles who have covered in two out of three games. This game opened seven, seven and a half, and we're getting mostly six and a half on the board right now. So some Jacksonville money coming in totals come down about a point. Um, this one's curious. Uh, I think this is a bit of a test for the Jacksonville team. Are they, are they for real? Um, let me start with UTA. Do you have anything on this one? I don't. It's a fun matchup. I will say, I think you're, I, I like the Jags. I like the Jags coming in and, you know, I was on them last week and I was on them in week two, but I think we have to step back for a second. I, I don't have a strong opinion about what they are yet because look, they lost to a, you know, looks like a below average to bad Washington team in week one. They gave up with 31 points. They played a Colts team that was completely decimated. Uh, you know, the top two receivers and their best defensive player are out um, against a team that never plays well in Jacksonville. So, you know, that, that that is what it is. And then last week played obviously the Chargers with a quarterback who, you know, we didn't think was going to play and with, you know, five or six of their best players down as well. Um, you know, that didn't really tell us much. So I'm not really sure what they are. I mean, they could be a, a really good team, you know, a, a AFC South contender and a playoff contender, or they could just be, you know, just a decent team that's frisky from time to time. I, this is definitely going to tell us one way or another where they stand. I'm probably not willing to, to back them right here because I think just the Eagles are just um, mauling teams left and right. And with that offensive line, the way Jalen Hurts is playing, you know, I don't want to step in front of that train, especially under seven. You know, it's just not, you, you, there's no reason to take Jacksonville here when when the numbers already got off the, the key seven here. Um, so to me, it's, it's either Eagles or pass and, and I'm likely going to pass. All right, from one team that's uh, getting a lot of public attention to another, uh, the Detroit Lions are a four-and-a-half-point home favorite to the Seattle Seahawks. Total is sitting at 48-49. Um, 
I God, I we talked about the Lions uh, being a favorite uh, a couple of weeks ago on this show. I'm still not there yet. I'm still I'm still not believing it yet. Does anybody have a play on this one? Could it just be ugly? Could it go either way? I mean, the Lions are scoring a ton of points. We'll have to give them that. But they've got some key injuries on offense, as we discussed on day to day yesterday. Ta, I I just don't really I don't know how to look at this one. Yeah, I mean, I wish I actually wish I don't have a play on the side. The, the number got hit right away. Once the the news came out that Swift was out and and um, Amron St. Brown may not play, that number went from six to four and a half pretty quick. So it's probably you know I I can't I can't really back either side at this number. Um, you know I think it is interesting. I kind of wish that that St. Brown was playing because I wouldn't mind taking taking a look at the over here. Uh, both of these defenses struggle. The Seattle defense is last pretty much in everything. Um, the we saw what Atlanta did whatever they wanted against them last week. Geno Smith's actually played very well when he has a clean pocket. He's one of the top five graded uh, passers in the NFL in a clean pocket. And I don't think that the Detroit pass rush is really going to cause too many problems. So you know you could see a decent amount of points coming from Seattle as well. But I think with without St. Brown and without Swift, they lose the Lions lose their two big playmakers. So they could just pound, pound, you know, uh, ground and pound them to death. And this is a little lower scoring game than expected. But, you know, I, I don't have really a strong opinion here on either side. Yeah, uh, I don't have a strong opinion either. I think it's another game that monitor the injury report. And Amon Ross St. Brown is super important to this Lions offense. So I, I would just monitor, monitor the injury report and maybe something does pop up by the time uh, Friday comes, but as of now, not much. Okay, we'll power through another early window game that uh, I'd be surprised if either of you have too much to say about. The Chicago Bears, uh, plus three and a half uh, is the best price you can get on them right now. At MetLife to play the Giants, total at 39, 39 and a half. Um, really low totals coming in for for the Bears as, uh, as usual, I guess. Um, any thoughts here? Uh, let me start with you, Hitman. Yeah, it's kind of similar to the handicap that I had on that Dallas-Washington game where I didn't have many positive things to say about Washington, but I just didn't think Dallas should be laying that much. It's kind of the same with uh, this Giants game. I mean, are these teams really that different? The Giants have some injuries in their defensive front. Their offensive line is below average. Um, Daniel Jones is not a great quarterback. And you have the worst wide receiver slash tight end group in the entire NFL with the New York Giants. So if I had to make a force play on this, I would definitely take the three and a half of Chicago. You know, it's funny. I actually think that the Bears wide <laughs> receiving core and tight end is worse. It's too no. bad Sterling. Honestly, it's too bad Sterling <laughs> Shepard got hurt. I, I, you know, I think that if, if Tony was able to come back, um, I might have looked at the Giants here. I actually think. I really, I don't know how, I can't believe one of these teams will be three and one. I do have a few, I have some futures on the Giants, so I, I don't mind them being three and one, but I can't believe the Bears are even in position here uh, to get to that point that I just don't see what, what, how they, how they, um, you know, are playing like this. I mean, they got some breaks with that monsoon in week one. And then last week, they really should have lost Davis Mills, you know, with a bad pick at the end, threw a pick in the end zone. They got outplayed. I think from a matchup perspective, Justin Fields is horrible against the blitz. Um, he's bad against pressure. Well, he's bad against everything, but he's bad against pressure and against the blitz. He's dead last in uh, a PFF grade. He's one of nine on 16 dropbacks, um, uh, eight, 18 total yards and four sacks. 
he's dead last in PFF grade against the blitz and Wink Martindale loves to blitz and he, he disguises them well. So I think there could be a scenario that plays out where uh, the giants just, the defense just confuses him to death. It's a low scoring game and maybe they cause a couple turnovers uh, and the giants get out of there with a win. I'm not willing to lay three and a half. Maybe I'll look at it at three. Um, but you know, I would need to get, if, if Tony can play, uh, then I think I'd have a better shot of looking at that strongly, but, uh, without him, they're just, they don't have enough weapons to create separation from that three to, for me to do anything. I was going to tell you TA that no way that the bears have the better pass catchers just because of Darnell Mooney. And then I just thought about it. I was like, well, Darnell Mooney has like four catches in three games this (laughs) season. So <laughs> I mean, I mean I'd still take the Bears even throw the ball, so who who even yeah. knows? Yeah, I'd still take the Bears pass catchers, but they're definitely the uh the two worst in the league. <laughs> yeah, you guys sold me on definitely not watching that game with so many in the early window. Um this one, you know, we, we always talk about the league scheduling, just four games in like the four, four thirty window. This game is in Houston and it starts at one Eastern, the Chargers against the Texans. Chargers opens as six and a half point favorites. Uh, seeing it down to five and a half, uh, six right now. The Texans haven't won a game, but they have not lost against the spread yet. And that's what we're here to talk about. Uh, of course, a ton of injuries, a rash of injuries. And uh, obviously a really big one for the Los Angeles Chargers, Justin Herbert, who is uh, questionable at best to go here on Sunday. TA, we touched on this game a lot in uh, the episode of Day Today this week. Uh, can you follow up uh, with some more thoughts on this one? Yeah, I, I took the six with Houston right away. Um, I This is before even Rashawn Slater was announced out. I knew that was going to happen. And same with Bosa with a groin. That was kind of obvious, and now he's out for the year. Or at least he's going to have surgery. So, you know, those those are two studs that are out. I'm not convinced, and I have to, I'll have to wait till Sunday to see it. I'm not convinced Justin Herbert's going to play. I think it's a true coin flip. They may shut him down. I don't know. I'm just I'm just guessing here. But he looked horrible last week. He, he obviously didn't respond well in practice to the treatment, and that's why he wasn't going to play originally. They shot him up, and he played poorly. I don't know why you would put him out there for the next couple of weeks, especially without your stud left tackle. Storm Norton is the backup. He's one of the worst tackles in the NFL. Gave him nine pressures last week in <laughs> nine pressures in in like half a game, which is just unheard of. I don't know why you would do that. You know, who knows if Keenan Allen's going to play Corey Lindsley, their starting center missed last week. You know, he's questionable. So you might have your two best offensive linemen out on the road. I personally, I just took it because it was a number grab. I thought that if Herbert does end up out, this thing gets closer to, you know, maybe Chargers minus one or two or even pick. I don't know what Hitman's thoughts are on what the line would be uh, with Daniel here, but I think it would get to, close to pick them. So I wanted that number. And then just in general, Davis Mills is a much better quarterback at home, 14 touchdowns, one interception in his career at home. Texans have covered three straight home games. They're just night and day on offense uh, at home and on the road in the last two years. And you look at Davis Mills's best game in his career actually came against these same chargers last year um, from an EPA perspective. He had the best game. I think they they scored but 40, 30, 40 points last last year against this Chargers team that was also beat up due to COVID. So similar spot. Chargers blitz at a below average rate. Davis Mills is actually um, sixth best in the NFL when not facing a blitz. He's thirtieth when uh, in PFF grade when when going up against a blitz. So it's actually a decent matchup there. You know, again, this is more about I just wanted to get the number because I thought this thing would drop with all the injuries, and I was just taking a shot that uh, Herbert, you know, 50-50 shot he plays. So we'll see what happens. But, you know, if I'm stuck with with plus six, I'm okay with it anyway. I just think it's 
you know, it's, it's a decent matchup uh, all in all anyway. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. It, it might be a game time decision, but um, you know, I wouldn't, I would still take it at five and a half. I still think there's some value, um, but you know, we'll be interesting to see what they end up doing with Herbert. Could only look towards Houston. I think that the injury report is going to be bad again for the Chargers, like we just spoke about. So I, I think that you could only look towards Houston. We possibly see this line close lower than what it is right now. What do you think, hey man? What do you think it would be if, if they announced today it was Chase Daniel? Like Chargers minus one? Is that does it yeah? Get- Char- Chargers minus one. I, I have Houston as the worst team at uh, six points worse than an average team. So I would think with Chase Daniel and all the injuries that they, the Chargers would probably go to Giants level power rating wise around three and a half, four worse than an average team. So yeah, around minus one, I would guess. Gotcha. Though from one preseason hyped team in the LA Chargers to another in the Arizona Cardinals, um, here's what this says about the Cardinals, I think, guys. They opened as an underdog. Uh, they remained an underdog most of the week. The, some money started coming in to move the line back towards Arizona today. But Baker Mayfield and the Carolina Panthers are a favorite. And the totals dropped from 45 at open to 43, even 42 and a half out there right now. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, if you're a Cardinals fan or somebody who likes to bet on them, it's certainly been a frustrating start to the season uh, do either one of you guys have a have a take on this game? I'll start with you, Hitman. Tease Arizona and and don't watch the game would be my best advice. Uh, Kyler Murray, one thing that he has been able to do semi decently this year in comeback mode, he has been pretty solid. So running around making plays, and it's tough to see Carolina being an offense that's going to get much margin on anyone. Plus, we have the Christian McCaffrey potential injury as well. So I, I could just tease Arizona. Yeah, no, no opinion for me. I, I you know, I, I don't know what to do with these teams. Arizona looks lifeless, except for that one comeback. <laughs> they got me my comeback against the Raiders on the money line. Uh, they've done absolutely nothing. AJ Green's out, which I think is actually additive. He is horror. He might be the worst receiver in the NFL. I swear. He drops every pass. He, he doesn't. He doesn't <laughs> separate at all. So maybe that actually helps him. But this is a. You know, without knowing what happens in McCaffrey, this is a no play for me, at least. Okay, sticking in this window, uh, a game that will certainly have a lot of eyes on it, a couple of marquee franchises in the National Football League. Green Bay Packers open as a seven and a half point home favorite at Lambeau against the New England Patriots. The Mac Jones news comes out. The Packers jumped to a 10 point favorite, got to 10 and a half, and we wondered if it would stop. We talked about this on day to day as well. Well, it has. The money's come back in a little bit on New England at 10. Um, and again, it's so weird to see the Green Bay Packers with a total of 39 and a half. The totals dropped three points from the 42 and a half open. Um, yeah, it's just it's just so weird to see that for me. Um, I'll start with UTA. Any any more thoughts uh, on this one? Yeah, we talked about it yesterday. It's just it, the only way you can look, at least for me, is, is the Patriots. I don't you know, Brian Hoyer is at least a, you know, respectable backup in the NFL. He's won games. He started games. He knows the system. He isn't some undrafted free agent that came, came out, um, out of nowhere. So, you know, I think this line was like five and a half, six in the look ahead. So you're talking, a you know, four and a half, five point, um, adjustment is Mac Jones, five and a half, you know, four and a half, five and a half more than Brian Hoyer. I don't, I don't know. I don't think so, but, um, you know, to me getting over 10, you're looking at this game, you know, the Bears two weeks ago were nine and a half. 
I mean, if I put this Patriots team with Brian Hoyer against the Bears on a neutral field, I mean, Patriots are probably four-point favorites. So from that perspective, I can't imagine the Green Bay rating has increased that much. So I think you're actually getting uh, some decent value here. Um, it's just a matter of whether you're willing to trust that Brian Hoyer can get the job done. I will say that, you know, he will get he will get protection. That offensive line has been great, number one in the NFL in uh, pass block efficiency, if you look at PFS numbers. So, you know, he will get protected. Jair Alexander popped up on the injury report today. I mean, if he's out, I'm I'm strongly going to look at New England. Um, you know, but if, if he plays, you know, it might be a different story, but I think there's, you know, there's some value. They can run the ball on Green Bay's defense who's dead last in adjusted line yards, 28th and explosive runs allowed. So, you know, there is a scenario where they play ball control, run some play action with Hoyer, keep, you know, shorten the game. New England or uh, Green Bay already is the second slowest team in the NFL anyway. They don't throw the ball as much down the field anymore. So in a low total game, you know, you could only look at New England here, if anything. I agree. 10, 10 and a half. You, you could only look towards New England. Now the board is mostly nine and a halfs. And all I got to say about that is that um, just think about asymmetric risk. If you do like New England and it goes to nine, so what? Goes to eight and a half, so what? I mean, it's not it. – I'm not going to say it's meaningless, but it's not a big deal. But if you get that 10 – in comparison, that's absolutely huge. So if you do like New England, wait it out and uh, look to get some plus tens. And that's a direction that I'm leaning towards as well. I didn't even notice that. It must have been because didn't uh, Belichick say that Mac Jones is progressing and maybe that gave people some hope. So is that baked in here? I, I didn't even know. Yeah, I mean, nine and a half. I, I mean, if people are believing Belichick with, <laughs> with his press conferences, I mean, you're better off just ignoring those press conferences. So yeah. I don't know if it was that. I think that it just might have been some um, sharp yeah. betters that were looking at it. this game and seeing, <laughs> hey, I mean, New England's getting priced at the same as the Bears were just right. a week and a half ago. And I don't think they're that bad. So right. that's what I think it was personally. Yeah, you could be right. The Patriots team total at 13 and a half. Two touchdowns <laughs> is all the markets uh, giving the, the Patriots there too. So that's a uh, you know, big spread, low total game. That's, that's always something that jumps out. A couple of teams that are combined one and five against the spread. Uh, there's a bit of hype around both franchises, especially the Broncos coming into the season. Uh, hasn't really materialized, even though they are two and one straight up. Just uh, maybe maybe it wasn't the, the prettiest of ways to go about it. But uh, they opened as a two-point road underdog at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Uh, money's actually coming in on the Raiders here. We're seeing two and a half uh, now after it did go as low as one and a half on Monday. So uh, this one's getting moved around a little bit. As I mentioned, the Raiders have not covered a spread yet. Uh, I know that you have some thoughts on this game, Hitman, uh, and I'm, or excuse me, TA has some thoughts on this game, and I'm I'm really excited to hear them because uh, I'm trying to figure out how to play this one. I swear I'm the only person on earth who likes to back Nathaniel Hackett here. This is the third straight week I'm doing it. He's one in one for me um, with that win last week, and it's the third straight week I'm fading the Raiders. This is mainly a fade on the Raiders. I don't understand. I I keep not understanding. Like, why do people love the Raiders so much? I, is it just because of Devontae Adams? It has to be because they're not a good team. I don't, Derek Carr's played really poorly this year. Uh, their offensive line is one of the worst in the NFL. Outside of Max Crosby, their defense is one of the five to 10 worst defenses in the NFL. They've got tons of injuries in their secondary. Uh, I'm not sure what people are seeing that, how are they, uh, they're essentially lined right here as 
you know, an equal to slightly better teams than the, than the Broncos. I'm, I just don't see that at all. I know that the Broncos look bad on national TV last week. You're going up against maybe the best defense in the NFL right now in the Niners. And you had a, a, a Jerry Judy who barely could lift up his shoulder during the week. He got shot up to play. Um, I, I just don't think that these teams are, are necessarily even close to equal. I, I would have the Broncos two points better than the Raiders here. I think this should be a pick them, to be honest. Um, I talked about all offseason, and a lot of people have. The Raiders were a fraud last year. They were not a 10-win team. If you look at their point differential, they played more like a 7-win team and just got lucky in one-score games. They got a bunch of backup quarterbacks at the end of the year. They played the Browns, who couldn't even feel the team. They had to move the game at the end of the year, and they bit, and they needed a last-second field goal to win. They beat Drew Locke. Like that, that, this is not a, a – I think that's how people are viewing them as a playoff team from last year, and they, they're not. They're a 7-win team. Um, and so I just don't understand it. If you look at – for all their issues, the Broncos are 14th in the NFL in net success rate. Raiders are 26th. When you look at, um, you know, drive success rate, I've got a, a drive success metric. They're actually third in the NFL um, in, in that metric. It's because their defense has been awesome. Their defense in the last, since halftime of the opener against Seattle, so the last 10 quarters, they've allowed 19 total points and one touchdown. You know, and I know that the schedule has been, been, you know, fairly, you know, easy with, with uh, Houston and Seattle for half a game. And then, you know, but they played a good Niners team who was favored over them with Jimmy G who was supposed to, you know, come, come out with this great offense against, uh, against Denver and they couldn't do anything. They're inept. I mean, this Denver defense is top five to 10 in the NFL. And then I think they're going to move it against this Raiders defense who couldn't stop the Titans. You know, everyone was ripping the Titans last week for the same reasons they're ripping Denver. Uh, they don't look good on, you know, on the surface. And then they put up 6.6 yards per play and 24 points on this defense. I, you know, I, I don't see any reason why Denver can't do the same. They've got weapons on the outside. It's another week for Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler to get healthy. I, I think that, you know, this really should be a pick them. I would take them at, um, you know, if you, if you can't get the three, I think those are, those are gone. Uh, if you can get the, if it's not two and a half, just take the money line. I, I think that Denver wins this game. And I think people are going to be questioning why they keep backing the Raiders. I don't know if it's just because they're and three against the spread and people are looking at some sort of like historical trend. I don't see anything that, that says that they should really be favored here by, by a couple points, but um, you know, that's my handicap. I, I just don't think that, you know, Denver has shown the first game of the year, they put up nearly seven yards per play. You know, they, they've got the capability of having a good offense. It's just a matter of putting it together and Nathaniel Hackett getting out of his own way, but they're definitely capable of putting up some points here. The only thing I'll add is that I spoke about the Arizona teaser. I think that if this doesn't get to three, that Denver would make a, be a perfectly fine leg to match up with Arizona, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, the Raiders don't blow anybody out. They didn't last year. All they did was play one score a game. So uh, that makes a lot of sense. I think you sold me on the Broncos money line here as well. And I think I'll have to make a make a little play on that. Okay, two games left, guys. The Sunday nighter and the Monday nighter. We're not going to get Patrick Mahomes against Tom Brady very many more times, I wouldn't think. Although Brady is a little bit bionic. So we should enjoy this one on Sunday night. Um, we're looking at right now, Kansas city is a two point road favorite, depending on where you look, you could get a one, um, interesting to see where this one closes. Uh, I see a KC money line out there, minus minus one fifteen. I see Tampa Bay plus one Oh five plus one ten. So this one's, this one's pretty close total of 45, a lot of injuries, uh, certainly for Tampa Bay here coming in. Uh, both teams are two and one straight up Tampa's covered two of their three games. Kansas city covered just once. Uh, let me start with you, Hitman. What are we in for on Sunday night? Uh, I'm looking towards the over in this one. 
Tampa Bay, uh, obviously their offense has not been great at all to start the year, but you're getting Julio Jones back. You're getting Mike Evans back. You, there's a lot of talk about from Tampa about their overusing Leonard Fournette, which to me says maybe Tampa looks to get back a little bit more towards towards their offense last year, which had one of the highest uh, pass rates over expectation. And I mean, it, it's going to sound square as all hell and probably half the audience is thinking it, but Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady in a total of 45. I mean, when was the last time we had a Chiefs total at 45? And I know that some people are thinking the same thing last week. Like, oh, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, the total's 42. How, how could that be possible? Uh, I think that the Chiefs defense is a big step down from the Packers defense and the Chiefs offense. I know they haven't been as explosive as years past to start the year, but I still think this is overall one of the better offenses in the entire league. So for me, I could, I'm looking towards the over on it. Um, one thing I will say is if you're going to bet it now, uh, make sure you're playing with a sports book that will give you action based off when the game is played. Or you might just have to wait because this game could potentially be moved from Tampa Bay to another site. They're talking about Minnesota possibly hosting this game instead of Tampa Bay. But the, the over would be the direction that I'm looking in. Yeah, I don't have an opinion. I'm <laughs> looking at them watching TV now and there's a, uh, they're showing the hurricane in Tampa. So I, you, you, there's so many uncertainties. Uh, you know, all these players have to deal with, you know, what they're going to do with their families and you know, dealing with all that. It's just not for me. I just don't want to have anything to do with it. I don't know. There's so much uncertainty um, with how, you know, where it's going to be played, you know, when it's going to be played, um, you know, what these, what these players are thinking. So I, I'm just, I'm staying away from now. Maybe, maybe once we get to Sunday, if we have more certainty, we can take a look at something, but I, I'm not, um, not going to be active in that game. Yeah. And our thoughts go to everybody in Florida uh, and the surrounding area who uh, may be affected by that hurricane. That does not look pretty. Uh, hope you guys all stay safe. Uh, it's the most important thing. Okay. Last game, Monday nighter, NFC West rivalry game, the Los Angeles Rams at two and one straight up one and two against the spread head to play the 49ers who are one and two straight up and against the spread. Spreads all over the place, depending on where you're shopping, guys. This one opened at about two and a half. I still see two and a half out there, but I also see a one on the board. Total uh, pretty static. 42 and a half may have come down half a point or a point. Um, it's always interesting when these two teams match up against each other. The 49ers have won seven of the last 10 games. Of course, we always talked about that Sean McVay, uh, Kyle Shanahan thing as, as a narrative over the last few years. Um, but let's get away from the narrative so much and, and Hitman, tell me a little bit more about what's going to happen this Monday night and less about the franchise matchups from before. Well, you know, usually I don't take into account much trends and narratives and, um, long-term records, this coach against that coach, but I think it's a little bit legit what Shanahan has done to McVay. You know, Shanahan's only been a favorite in two of the 11 games they've coached against each other yet. He's seven and four straight up so the ATS margin and Shanahan is eight and three ATS but the ATS margin has been really heavily favored towards the 49ers and I think that a lot of the matchup issues that the Niners have given them 
it, it relates to this game. Um, the Niners are first in the NFL in pressure rate without blitzing. And what did we see in that Buffalo game? Buffalo was able to play coverage, rush for four, and they gave this Rams team a lot of trouble. And the Niners also are a top three run defense right now. So you're looking at the path for success for the Rams. I don't think they're going to be able to block this front four. The Niners are going to be able to play coverage against them. I don't think they're going to have much of a running game. And yes, I'm worried about the Trent Williams injury for the Niners. No doubt about it. But I don't think that this Rams offense is ever going to threaten them enough where they can they where they're going to be forced to get out of their play action bootlegs, the Debo Samuel screens, all that stuff. Now, if it did become a drop back pass game, I'm definitely worried with Jimmy G, but I, I don't think it's gonna. I think that the matchups are really favorable towards the Niners, especially defensively against this Rams team. And let's remember also the Rams dealing with injuries of their own could be without their number two to four. Uh, starting cornerbacks and they have some offensive line potential injuries as well so for me it's uh san francisco is the side yeah i did take this but it definitely san francisco or nothing and all the the good reasons uh, hitman laid out and just you know the trent williams issue i mean he didn't play last year in week 18 and they went on the road in la and won outright so you know yeah it's not ideal but you're not going up against von miller this year either they don't have an edge rusher that really is going to threaten uh that offense too much so it should and you're at home again talked about yesterday when you have a left tackle situation it's much different on the road in a loud environment than being at home so i think that effect is not as big so um yeah to me i i would look to either i didn't even see the line drop it was a two and a half last time i saw it so somebody came in on that last minute or just recently uh which is interesting but um yeah, it's to me, it's San Francisco or nothing. And there you have it, folks. The full rundown for NFL Week 4 beginning Thursday night in Cincinnati, ending Monday night at San Francisco. Uh, guys, thanks so much. This has been an absolute blast. I've learned a ton, which means everyone else out there has learned a ton as well. Again, your hosts have been Hitman at Hitman428 on Twitter. TA at CleveTA on Twitter. I am Chris Abbott, real Chris Abbott on Twitter, Chris with a K, of course, because my parents wanted to mess up my life. And our producer, Jason, is putting this all together. Folks, you can check out the Hammer Betting, the Hammer Betting Network at Hammer HQ. And there's a ton of information out there. We'll be back next week. Thank you so much, and good luck with your bets this weekend.